Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Come and see on this episode of Good Heavens. On the night of November 13, 1833, and long into the morning hours, many in North America awoke to what appeared to be the end of the world. Thousands upon thousands of meteors illumined the night sky with an otherworldly light, streaking through the Earth's atmosphere multiple thousands per hour. It all looked like a fiery snowstorm, more luminous than the full moon. Church bells rang. People ran into the streets, and many were moved to prayer. What in the world was going on? Thirty-three years later, on the night of November 14, 1866, a similar display of celestial fireworks erupted over Europe, causing similar wonder and awe. In 1865, just a year prior to the European event, astronomers Ernest Temple and Horace Tuttle discovered the comet responsible for these glorious meteor storms. Comet Temple-Tuttle is now known to be the source of the November meteor shower known as the Leonids. Though you can see the Leonid meteor shower every November, the most spectacular Leonids occur when the comet is closest to the Sun, which is once in every 33 years. So the next perihelion of Temple Tuttle is scheduled for November of 2031, so mark your calendars. This weekend, however, there is another meteor shower you don't want to miss. The meteors that will be racing through the night sky from August 12th through the 14th come from another comet discovered by Horace Tuttle, along with Lewis Swift. If you discover a comet, the International Astronomical Union will name the comet after you, hence the comet name Swift-Tuttle. The comet Swift-Tuttle produces the Perseid meteor showers each mid-August. This month should prove to be a good show, as the moon is in its waning crescent phase. While it will not be nearly as prolific as the 1833 Leonid shower, if you are under dark skies, you might be able to see up to 60 or more per hour. If, however, you are in or near a big city, you won't be able to see as many per hour, though you will still be able to catch quite a few if you know just where to look. So what exactly is a meteor shower? What is the meaning of them? Are they good news or bad news for the inhabitants of Earth? What makes them so spectacular? On this episode of Good Heavens, Wayne and I attempt to answer these burning questions and a whole lot more. But most importantly, whether you are able to view them this year or not, we hope above all else they will remind you of the good news, the glory of God in Christ. So grab a lawn chair, sit back, and lift up your eyes on high to see the glorious wonders of the night sky this weekend. 
And join Wayne and I right now for another delightful Good Heavens episode of All Things Glorious, Good, and Heavenly. Wayne, it's time to light up the sky this weekend. Did you know? I know it's past the 4th of July, but God doesn't care. He doesn't keep time exactly like we do. Not, <laughs> right. Not bound to our calendar. He doesn't care what time of year it is. Well, he does. He does. But it's uh, it's uh, kind of a 4th of July in the heavens yeah. this weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to see some cool stuff, man. That's why we're doing this podcast right now. And uh, we're going to light up the skies over uh, over the northern hemisphere uh, in a few days. What's going on, Wayne? What's going on? What are we doing? Yeah, so we uh, things in the heavens uh, have a way of helping us uh, get our mind off of our um, uh, mundane day-to-day earthly things and think about things bigger than us. Right, right. And uh, so that is exactly what's going on this weekend. If you can get out... Uh, even if you're in a big city, you could probably catch a few of these things, but it would be more ideal if you could uh, travel out to the countryside somewhere where it is a little darker, and you may catch, if you're in a really dark sky, uh, I've read some articles that said you can catch up to 50 or 60 of these an hour. And Wayne, we're not talking about fireflies, are we? No, this is the Perseid uh, meteor shower. The Perseid Meteor Shower. So if you need a shower this weekend, go out in your backyard. Get a shower. <laughs> it won't quite work. That wouldn't quite work. But uh, it, it, it won't take away the stench. But it, uh, It's more of a, a, a sky show. A sky show. Yes, indeed. Perseid Meteors are coming to your town uh, this weekend. Uh, they are actually happen- happening right now. And you could go out tonight and see a few. Um, but the peak of the shower, when you will see the most, is uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning. And uh, so uh, we're going to talk about a little bit where where you can see them, uh, where to look in the sky, what are they. We've done episodes, Wayne, on meteors, meteorites, and comets. We'll link those in the description notes. Uh, you also wrote an article on comets we're going to link. And I wrote a little article on comets we're going to talk about. Uh, not comets, but uh, I wrote an article on the Perseids specifically. And uh, so we got you covered. If you want to watch meteors and uh, if you want to glorify God, this is the place to be right here on Good Heavens. So, uh, Wayne, let's get into this. I think uh, you've been over to the house before when uh, we've watched Geminids, and that's the December meteor shower, and we, we'll probably do a show on that. Um, but uh, the Perseids are uh, one of the most splendid of the year. They are, um, <laughs> pardon the dad joke here. I should. T- I think I've told this dad joke before, but everybody likes a dad joke. Uh, Wayne, how do astronomers like their hamburgers? Uh, I don't know. How do they like their hamburgers, Dan? Meteor. <laughs> Meteor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, right. So you could have you could grill out and have meteor hamburgers as you watch a meteor shower. So uh, lots of wordplay there. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we just lost half of our listeners. They're, they're uh, recovering from that bad one. Um, but uh, anyway, they're fantastic. And the Perseids actually are like super colorful and you get big, fat, glowy ones and smoky ones. These are these are really uh, unique and uh, great to see. If you're in a, a dark sky, like I said, you can see about 50 or 60 of these an hour. If you're under a big city, you could probably catch maybe 20 or 30 an hour. And uh, they're just delightful. And there's nothing that makes me feel like a kid again by uh, other than just watching a meteor shower. They're so cool. And uh, so they'll be happening. Uh, so if you can, you can catch them uh, for the real peak of the thing it's saturday night at midnight until uh you know just before sunrise on sunday so that's when that's when the best of them come but you can catch them friday night you can catch them uh, saturday after uh, the sun goes down you'll be able to see them but if you really want to see a lot of them at the peak yeah so dan let's tell people where to look in the sky because some you know it happens to be the where i live there's some directions i just can't really look and i'm in the city but Mm. yeah but uh it turns out that in the east, there's an area where I can go and can see the sky kind of. Yes. So um, if you orient yourself and you know kind of how your neighborhood or your house or where you're situated, you find north, find the Big Dipper, um, find the Polaris star. And uh, just to the north, uh, just to the right of Polaris, the north and the east, Perseus, the constellation, will be rising. And uh, the radiant or the center point from which all the comets, not the comets, all the uh, meteors emanate is called the radiant. So since we're talking about showers, I, I thought of this analogy. Think of a, a shower head. We've all wistfully stared into the center of the shower as the water is coming down on us, right? You look at the <laughs> the shower head and you see the water droplets coming right at you uh, as you look into the center of the shower. That's what the radiant is. But instead of water droplets, Wayne, they are uh, meteors. And uh, so that's the radiant. So that's they're coming from the northeast portion of the sky. But astronomers will always tell you not to look exactly at the radiant, not because it's going to blind you or anything, but look kind of to the right and to the left of the radiant and right above you. And that's usually where you'll see the uh, see the stars. And sometimes uh, they look like they're coming right down on you. Sometimes they'll just streak by you. Sometimes the streaks last a couple of seconds. It's just really cool. Yeah, so, so the... Some of them may be kind of faint, and so it's the peripheral vision in our eyes that can see more mm-hmm. sensitively uh, faint objects. So that's why people say to look not directly at them. But uh, you might see them, you know, no, no matter where how you look, but they will just streak very fast across the sky because they're coming from a comet that is crossing Earth's orbit. And right, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the the source of uh, where where do meteors come from? Where does this meteorite shower or meteor shower come from? Um, and the uh, the one thing to keep in mind is if you're watching these things, is try to get out into the dark and let your eyes adjust to the dark for about fifteen or twenty minutes or so. And if you live in a neighborhood where cars go by, shield your eyes from any light. Because the more your iris is open and sensitive to the dark, the more you will spot these things. And if you have kids, here's a fun thing to do. I did this one time when I had guests over. Um, 
whenever there's a meteor, you you get a bag of Hershey's Kisses or something, and you throw the kisses into the laps of the kids as the meteors go by. <laughs> uh-huh. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, and then you don't tell them that you're doing this. And the younger they are, the more fun that is. So uh, you could do that. But um, lawn chairs, barbecue, have some meteor hamburgers, and uh, watch a meteor shower. All that uh, coming this weekend. And um, uh, it's it's a good way to stay cool, too, because here in Texas, we've had uh, it was 107 out here where I'm at today. It was probably hot where you are, too. Uh, so this will, you can cool off. It'll be at least 85 degrees <laughs> outside. It'll be nice to get outside. The moon will be in a crescent phase, a, a waning crescent phase. It'll be a sliver. So it won't be interfering with the show. So that'll be beautiful. Yeah. So the the dimmer moon makes it easier to see the faint uh, streaks from the meteors. Absolutely. But I thought uh, a couple scriptures come to mind uh, that I have in relation to this. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've, I love this verse. Just the other day, I was thinking that uh, this is a command, Wayne. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a, hey, if you want to. This is a command from the prophet Isaiah, or the Spirit of the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, telling us to lift up our eyes on high and see who created these stars. Now, meteors aren't stars in the classic sense of what we understand today in modern astronomy, but what was a star to a biblical writer or a biblical prophet, Old or New Testament? A star was any light in the sky. We've done several episodes on stars where we've talked about this. So the Spirit of the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, commanding us to lift up our eyes on high and see who has created these stars. And he goes on to say, the one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. And that's Isaiah forty twenty six. So if stars in a biblical sense are any lights in the sky, God has names for them. And this is another scripture I have from Job. Now, this is talking about, we think, I generally think this is talking about lightning. But uh, I like what it says. God asks Job, quote, Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? That's Job 38, 35. There's a lightning answer to your command. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So lightning answers to God's command. Meteors answer to God's command. The stars answer to God's command. So Dan, uh, if you if you go out and you see the uh, the meteor shower, you could you could say that uh, our sponsor for this show is God and uh, the uh, comet Swift Tuttle. Yes, brought to you by brought to you by the Lord of the heavens and earth and Comet Swift Tuttle. Uh, that's yes. right. That's right. So so. Um, God is commanding these things. So as you're watching them, you can you can imagine God has commanded each and every one of these to take the direction and the, the time and the light and the duration that they have. It just reminds us of God's wonder and his faithfulness. And, uh, of course, my favorite verse in the Psalms, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. So God made these. And day to day pours forth speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. And indeed, as you just mentioned, um, it was back in the 1860s, the early 1860s, that uh, this was discovered. And the knowledge of what meteors are came into the science world, uh, that it was uh, figured out that, that the meteors are debris from a comet tail. 
And uh, so comets are the work of God's hands as well. Day-to-day ports forth speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. In other words, their voice isn't heard. They're not saying anything, but they are saying something in a silent sense. So uh, you mentioned it. Uh, this Perseid meteor shower brought to you by Comet Swift Tuttle. Wayne, what is a comet, and what is Comet Swift Tuttle? Let's talk about that. Well, uh, it's called Swift Tuttle because there were two men who first uh, discovered it and reported it. I think, and I don't remember the first names. The guy named Swift, whose last name was Swift, he was an amateur astronomer. Yeah, it was. Uh, I got the name. Let me give you. Let me give you the names. Okay. Uh, the names were Lewis Swift in 1862. He he first laid eyes on it, and then Horace Tuttle, both. Uh, 19th century astronomers, American astronomers. So Lewis Swift and Horace Tuttle. Yeah, so they're named after who first see, uh, observes them. And uh, a comet is, uh, of, they're often described as a, uh, a ice ball or a snowball-like object, but it's bigger bigger than what we could throw with our hand. But it's uh, <laughs> bigger than, it's sm- a relatively small object and it has a lot of icy, material on it and so when it comes close to the sun the sun uh kind of drives off some of the uh icy material that's easy to vaporize mm-hmm. and so that makes for the tail that we see and there's also dust that comes off of it so every time mm. they go around the sun they lose part of their material and sometimes when they go around the sun they might even break apart um, and they also tend to come w- kind of close to Jupiter. Some comets get deflected by Jupiter, and Jupiter has a way of deflect them, deflecting them away from Earth sometimes. Uh, but but Swift Tuttle is a particular kind that's worth talking about. Some so there's three classes of comets. There's the Jupiter family comets which are the ones with the shortest orbital periods. And so they, they come in close to where we can see them the most often. And they are mm-hmm. all close to the orbital plane of the planets. They don't, they don't have highly tilted orbits. Uh, and, and then there's the long period comets are kind of the opposite extreme where they have really long narrow orbits and, they can come from any angle in terms of the the angle of their orbit. Uh, then, but Swift Tuttle is one that's kind of in between. It's uh, of a group that's called the Halley type comets or HTC comets. The Halley type comets are still short period comets, which means their orbital period is less than two hundred years. And uh, let's see, the orbital period of Swift-Tuttle is 133 years, a little over. Right. And it's also a retrograde comet. So it it moves uh, in a a left-handed orbital direction around the sun, whereas most objects in the solar system, the planets all go in a right-handed direction around the sun. If you put your if you put your thumb towards the north pole of the earth it's your your fingers curl in the right hand direction but swift tuttle is highly inclined it's tilted orbit is tilted up way up 
and it's uh, moving in more of a left-handed direction. Gotcha. Well, some news here. The last time Swift Tuttle was observed making its perihelion, uh, that is the loop around the sun or loop behind the sun, it was rediscovered in 1992 by Japanese astronomer Tsuruhiko Kiyuchi. And uh, so, Wayne, it's not going to come by again. Swift Tuttle is not going to come by again until July 12th, 2126. And if you and I are still go- doing good heavens then, well, something magical has happened. Because, uh, <laughs> But that's the next time it will be visible. And it will be a uh, 0.7 magnitude, which is quite a bright. Uh, it will be a very bright naked eye comet, as we can see. But we are going to be enjoying the uh, Swift Tuttle tail debris if you will the meteors uh for uh, the next uh, these happen every august uh, where the earth passes in its debris trail yeah i think uh i think they were at, at one time scientists were kind of worried about that 2126 uh visitation of swift tuttle because they were afraid it was going to come so close it might actually threaten earth and then oh they, after they looked look in the did some more calculations uh they found it, it would miss the earth but it's going to be quite close that'll be great it'll be fun it'll be very exciting to see a visible naked eye comet uh but even if i got married tomorrow and had kids they still wouldn't see it it would be uh great 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 grandchildren it's a long way off but we can enjoy swift tuttle Babies, Swift Tuttle children, Swift little Swift Tuttleites <laughs> uh, coming down. Uh, so that's that's cool. Uh, yes, yeah, so that it's it's a it's a high angled orbit. Now, Wayne, there's been a lot of uh, talk, and this is one of the things I love about comets because you know there's a lot of speculation and theorizing about where comets come from. Um, but we have actually science with all its cutting edge te- technology with our telescopes that can see deep. This is a head-scratcher for me. We've got telescopes that can see in the infrared way, way, way back into the earliest parts of the universe. But we have yet to discover, actually make a visual with any telescope, of of the source of where these comets originate. Where do they come from? Uh, many sources have been speculated. But but is it true, Wayne, that, uh, that we – why don't we talk a little bit about where people believe the comets are coming from um, – uh, yeah, so the the accepted idea is of uh, from a guy from the 1950s or or so I think named Jan Ort, who uh, and the idea is that it's like a spherical shell of comets that's way out beyond our sun. Uh, thousands of a few thousand or several thousand AU out there way out there um, it's it's something that there's not real observational evidence for and there never would be because it's way out there be too far to see and these would not be objects that would give off any light they are if there was something out there it would be dark and small and uh, too faint to see so, um, but we know there are long period comets, like I was saying. So the long period comets, um, the original idea was that I think that when they're in such long orbits, they could get out there and at the far end of their orbit, they're moving real slow and they could get stuck out there. 
<laughs> if there's something, if there's something pulling on them, see when they get way out there, thousands of AU, the sun's gravity is pretty weak mm-hmm. out there. And if there's anything else out there that might pull them a little, it might just kind of get them stuck. Mm. Mm. And but I'm not sure that really works. I mean, I don't. We don't have any real evidence of this Oort cloud. Um, what we see is the comets. Right. And so I don't see any reason we can't say that God just created them on these orbits, except that uh, we do know that the short period comets, their orbits are easily modified. So like Jupiter is has actually captured some of them. In 1994, there was the Shoemaker-Levy comet that actually broke apart and collided with Jupiter. Right. And that was in the newspapers. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so that happens occasionally. There's there's comets that might fall into Jupiter we don't even see in the news or anything. And uh, Neptune can influence the motion of comets sometimes. And we still discover new comets now and then. Yeah. So now we have uh, these uh CCD cameras and uh, various kinds of faint object cameras, some of which are watching the sky automatically run by a computer at night to look just for faint objects. Um, So even without, it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be somebody looking through a telescope to see faint objects today around our solar system because some of that is done in a completely automated manner by computers running cameras hmm. Hmm. so we're uh the sense of, the instrument sensitivity has enabled us to discover a lot more comets than what uh what we could see a hundred years ago when we would have to kind of just rely on uh, ones that would pass close to the earth uh so that's but, uh, yeah so but the thing is i think science has always had a problem with the explaining comets actually uh, partly because we don't have evidence for the Oort cloud being out there, and also because the short period comets really have a limited lifetime, and uh, there's always been a question of how can they, how can they be replaced? So, okay, I, I talked about the the shortest period comets are the Jupiter family comets, and it turns out uh, I found that there's some. There's been various estimates of the how long the comets would last because they, when they come around the sun, they mm. lose part of the the ice and dust comes off of them, and they're not going to collect it again. They're just going to be smaller, mm. and so eventually it gets to where either there's nothing left to make the coma, or the tail of a comet, uh, or uh, or it might actually get captured by a planet or it might fall into the sun or sometimes comets even get kicked out of the solar system altogether. Wow. So any of these things can happen to a comet and for the short period ones, they could only last something around 12,000 years for the Jupiter family comets. Now the Halley type comets, which is Swift Tuttle, they could last longer because their orbits are longer, they're tilted, so they just don't come around the sun as often. And so it, there was an estimate of that uh, that would be about 69,000 years that they might last. So, and that's kind of an average. But uh, 
There's not that many of the Halley-type comets compared to the others. But the question has always been, if, they're, if they have a limited lifetime like that, they, what happens then? Uh, how are they replaced? So scientists have tried to show uh, from a lot of calculations and the orbital mechanics and all that, how can they be replaced by other objects? And they've always had trouble with explaining that. So hmm. there's not really a good explanation for how you could replace them at, uh, enough to explain how they could still be there after billions of years. Right, because you're talking about, um, you think about uh, if there is an Oort cloud and there are comets out there and comets are mostly ice, uh, it does kind of beg questions about how can ice exist for billions of years. It does kind of give a younger universe perspective. Comets seem to do that. Um, I know um, I was just reading up uh, in 2020, uh, three years ago, the 4,000th comet was discovered by NASA and the European Space Agency's Solar Observatory. The uh, Solar and Heliospheric Observatory, or SOHO for short, discovered the 4,000th comet in uh, the SOHO's 25-year history. So I don't know how many uh, comets have been discovered, how many are known. I don't have those numbers, but uh, people are always looking for uh, the, the elusive comet. I wanted to share too, Wayne, this is kind of cute, especially from a guy who's balding myself, <laughs> uh, what the word comet means or where it comes from. It's etymology. It's a noun. Okay. And uh, it's it's kind of funny, I think, a uh, bald guy talking about this. Um, a comet is a class of objects. We've already talked about what a comet is. It's a rock. It's an icy snowball and the, the celestial snowball. And the, as it gets close to the sun, it burns off the gas and, and ice and it gets this tail. Well, it's the very tail of this comet that gives it its name. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, cometes, uh, the French comet. And uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it the French right because I don't speak French, but it means literally long-haired star. Long-haired <laughs> star. Okay, I like that. Long-haired star. Yeah, and I, I want to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a risk here and think, I think... C.S. Lewis's character, Ramandu, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> yeah. I think he has long hair. But I don't <laughs> – I'd have to go back and look at that now that I'm thinking about this. But but that's what Comet is, long-haired star. So it's uh, kind of like a rock star, right? Stars with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ramandu in the story would – he would have this long lifetime up in the sky. Then he would come down to Earth, and mm -hmm. and it would be there for some period of time. Like there was no more light in the sky. Then he would be, it would be re, reborn or something. He right? was a uh, according to Lewis, he was a retired star, and he made its way to Earth, which sounds like a meteor becoming a meteorite. Right when a meteor hits the ground, and it's a meteorite. Yeah. So in some sense, there's some. There's wonderful imagery and imagination in Lewis's story about Ramandu. I'd have to go back and see if he's got long hair or not. I think uh, pa <laughs> Pauline Baines, the artist, drew him that way. But I, had, I don't know. I'd have to go back and check, so don't quote me on that. But anyway, long-haired star, that's what a comet is. So, Wayne, then that leaves me with the question of meteor, meteors are really just star dandruff. 
Star dancer. <laughs> if a comet is hair. <laughs> so, so in, but along that way of thinking, that means that when you see the meteor shower, you're you're watching for dandruff falling. From That's the right. Sky. Bring your shampoo uh, to the shower because uh, <laughs> you're, we're watching celestial dandruff. Yeah, so this is great for a bald guy. But there's there's, there's actually lots of little uh, pieces of meteors and meteorites yes. that fall on the earth, and there's a lot of is this little dust. That doesn't make a show, but right, right. something like this is enough to see, and it's worth seeing. And if nobody is, if people out there are listening, if they, if you haven't ever looked at a good meteor shower, this is a good one to look, Absolutely. look at because <clears throat> it really is something when you see the radiant. Because it looks like you have lo- multiple objects kind of coming around us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they look like they're coming from a point in the sky. That's because it's crossing Earth's orbit and we're sort of moving into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, truthfully, from the ground observation, uh, from what we can see, and I'm surprised, well, I'm not surprised, it seems like there's a trend in cosmology, Wayne, where astronomers more increasingly are attributing things in the heaven as coming from nothing. So it kind of does look like when you're just watching these from your lawn chair in the backyard, it looks like these things do just come out of nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but they, they come out of the... Con- yeah, yeah, but it's more like, you know, let's say that... Um, let's say, Dan, that you're on a... Um, you're on a highway, a two-lane highway, and there is a a dump truck full of sand that's going going the opposite direction and you're you're going to drive by this this dump truck and it's got sand in the back of the dump truck if you drive by a dump truck with sand guess what's going to fall on your car mhm yeah sand so it's kind of like the it's, it's good... kind of like the comet has passed by right and it went right by earth's orbit and now it's scattering these particles uh, and we're driving through it. Yes. We're moving through it. Or if you have uh, four- and five-year-old daughters who like glitter and run around the house with glitter hair and glitter bottles and glitter everything, and they just leave glitter everywhere. Yeah, uh, you could think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the glitter I, of the comet being left behind, I, and we're entering yeah, into I, the dust. Imagine a truck hauling glitter. That, that would be cool. I would I would actually try to drive behind that for a while. I wouldn't get it off the car, though, after a while, but... Uh, uh, a little mythical, uh, a little delve into the mythical story behind the constellation from which this comes. When you hear of meteor showers uh, like the Geminids or the Perseids or the Orionids, uh, what's up with the Ids? That's just uh, two things going on. The Ids means it's a meteor shower, and the name to which the Id is affixed as a suffix. Uh, is the constellation from which these appear to emanate. Now, it doesn't mean that these are coming out of the constellation themselves. It's coming from the comet, but uh, the radiant is centered in or around the constellation. So the constellation out of which the Perseids emanate is the constellation the constellation of Perseus. And in Greek mythology, he is the one who slays the serpent-headed Hydra Medusa, as well as the great sea monster that is advancing on the chained princess Andromeda. He rescues Andromeda and uh, conquers evil, 
slaying the Medusa's head. And I think there are, you know, like Paul in Athens when he quoted from the Greek poets talking about Zeus. I think uh, as Christians we can uh, we can look through this mythology and kind of do what Paul did a little bit here. And I think there are shades of Jesus in the legends of Perseus. You know, he rides a horse and one day, once and for all, he will crush the head of the great serpent, the devil and Satan who opposes us and uh, who, who opposes us and who wages war on the children of God. Jesus, of course, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's rescued his bride, the church, from the great dragon and will come again to receive her one final time that she may abide with Jesus forever. So I think, in some sense, the Perseids are just kind of a foretaste of God's glory. Another thing that they remind me of, and this is more of a story about the Geminids that I often tell, but um, if you watch, if you read the uh, Gospels carefully, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, occasionally you'll see, especially in John, the disciples are away in a town buying food. They're always away buying food. And John, I think, uh, Jesus was talking at the the woman at the well, and John says the disciples were away in another town buying food. So by the time you get to the feeding miracles, Jesus... I, I, I think he's kind of joking with him a little bit, having a little fun with him, because he says, hey, Philip, where are we going to go get bread for everybody? You know, there's thousands of people in front of him. And Philip, all he can think about is 200 denarii wouldn't be enough, you know, a lifetime wages or whatever it was. And and, there, and there's no nearby town. Where are we going to go? So he's Philip is only thinking, you know, worldly concerns. And Jesus is like, well, how much bread do you have how much what do do we got we got a few fish and we got some loaves of bread of course we know the story jesus breaks the bread and distributes the bread and the fish everybody eats and what do they pick up wayne baskets of fragments right right so even in god's glory when god's glory takes over that even the fragments are bountiful and i think the meteor showers always remind me of Jesus creating something out of nothing, you know, because he's the only one who can do it. He creates out of his miraculous power, uh, and he provides in abundance, so much so that the leftovers were far greater than what people had to begin with. So, you know, the answer to the question, hey, Philip, where are we going to buy food? <laughs> Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see who's created these stars. <laughs> you know, uh, if he can create the stars and lead them forth and call forth lightnings, uh, he can turn a few loaves and fish into a bountiful harvest for uh, thousands of people. So I love that story. It reminds me, that's one of the things that uh, the the meteor showers remind me of, of God's bountiful provision out of nowhere, right? Because every time you see a meteor, even if you see a bunch of them, every one of them is a surprise. If you have ever watched meteor showers in a group, it's almost as fun to listen to people go, there's one, you know, people are doing that the whole time you're watching it. So that's, that's even a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it's it's really nice to see that when you when you're uh, in a good one. That's right. and some things in the city you can't see because of all the light pollution around us. But this is something that would be easy to see if um, if it's a good meteor shower. It, it's mm-hmm. not you don't have to have a telescope, and a telescope wouldn't do any good because it, they're brief streaks across right. the sky they're happening right. really, happens really fast right but if you have a if you if you like astrophotography um it would be it'd be really kind of a uh it would be really difficult to capture a meteor yeah. on your on your iphone but i suppose if you had 
if you had it open and at the right spot, you could try to catch a picture or two. Some uh, astrophotographers will leave the lens of their cameras open for several hours and just try to uh, catch as many as they can on on their on their cameras that way. A lot of astronomers do that. There's lots of wonderful pictures on the internet after a meteor shower that people have taken. Yeah, they but also, you kind of need a tripod. Or you something. do. You need a, a tripod, and you need a uh, uh, some other things. I would love to get into astrophotography. I just don't have the, uh, the the means to get all that equipment. But a lot of people do that. But uh, uh, like Isaiah says, you know, hey, this you can you can come without money. Come buy and eat, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You don't need anything. <laughs> to enjoy this. It's easy to see this. Easy to see it. Uh, No screens, no phones, no no setup, no subscription fees. (laughs) It's it's all free. It's it's a wonderful fireworks show. Uh, It reminds me too of uh, when Jesus was uh, entering Jerusalem and the, the Jewish leaders were telling Jesus to make his disciples hush up, stop, be quiet, you know, stop, stop the noise and and Jesus says, if they keep silent, the rocks will indeed cry out. So I think that also reminds me that, uh, you know, the, the, the meteors and the, the comets and the asteroids and everything that streaks through the sky, let them fly. Let them cry out and uh, sing the glory of God. And I think that's a wonderful reminder of, of God's faithfulness and his love and his kindness and his mercy. And I, you know, if, if, if ever there is time in my life when I feel like I have childlike faith, it's uh, when I'm out underneath a meteor shower. It's just so cool. It's just such a wonderful, uh, bountiful gift. And the other thing that's really fascinating, Wayne, and this is mentioned a lot of times, Guillermo Gonzalez talks about this in The Privileged Planet, that um, when you talk about the uniqueness of Earth, one of the things that he describes is how Earth is so perfectly situated to see things in the rest of the universe to include meteor showers because as he points Mm -hmm. out we could have been in a spot in the galaxy where we were surrounded by starlight and things were too bright and the sky was wiped out or we could have been uh, in an arm where there was a lot of darker dusts that were obscuring our views of the heavens but Wayne we sit in between two arms of the Milky Way galaxy with pretty much unobstructed views of the rest of the cosmos and yes it's it's fantastic, and I think it attests to what uh, Genesis says: "Barashit barat Elohim et hashamayim va'et haeretz." In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says the heavens, and doesn't say other planets. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and then He says, "And the earth." So you know, if uh, Jerry yeah. J- if Jerry Jones here makes a new uh, football stadium, in the beginning, Jerry Jones created Cowboys Stadium and seat one A. What would you think about seat 1A when you mention the stadium and then the seat? That must be a special seat. Must be the good seat. That's the good seat right there. That's the seat nobody's getting. It's probably Jerry's seat or whatever, you know, but it's a special seat. And that's what uh, Genesis is saying, that the earth has a unique and special place in the cosmos designed to be inhabited. One of the verses that you like to read, Um, not a waste place. And so one of the things that enables us to see the Perseids and everything else in the sky is because of where we sit in our own galaxy. And that, to me, is an attestation of God's wondrous design. So a beautiful, uh, wonderful opportunity to see some of God's uh, delightful handiwork going on right above us this weekend. Friday night, Saturday night into uh, Sunday morning will be the peak. You could probably catch them for a few days afterwards. 
uh, but you probably won't see as many. Uh, if you want to see the most, it will be Saturday night into Sunday morning. So, uh, so there's that. So be out and be on the lookout. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. Right. So it's just something to be aware of and it, it, and uh, take some time to go look and see. Absolutely. Well, Wayne, I know this. we wanted to get this out for our listeners, and uh, we wanted to do a real quick show so uh, you guys can, uh, can uh, go out and catch this. Uh, of course, this is going to be old news by Monday. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you're, if you're hearing this and if you've got some good weather, uh, go out and uh, enjoy. Turn off the screens, put your phones away, and just go out, lawn chair, family, grill some burgers, and watch the meteor shower. Yeah, and Dan, uh, maybe we should tell people that uh, if they if they go out and they see it, uh, email us and let us know how how it went. Did you Absolutely, of- we would love to hear of your star party, um, and uh, maybe on our next episode we can feature some of your stories, telling us how you enjoyed your meteor shower. Uh, our email is p s a l m. That's Psalm. 1968 psalm 1968 all through at gmail.com and you will get a hold of wayne and i and uh we will uh we would love to read your story on the air next next broadcast so send us a line uh about uh if you were able to uh catch some meteors how many you caught and uh, how, how how you enjoyed it send us a drop us a line Oh, and uh, Dan, one, we were thinking of uh, doing a little shout-out to our Apple podcast listeners. Oh, yeah. If you listen on Apple, um, we we don't normally do this. We don't ask for accolades. Uh, we've been going strong for, Wayne, get you, did you know next month is six years of good heavens? It's always amazing. Good heavens, six good years. Good heavens. I know. My goodness. <laughs> and if you're a faithful listener, you know we don't often ask you to, uh, to do – anything except listen <laughs> um uh sometimes we ask for support but this time we're, we're asking if you catch us on apple podcasts uh, we have a unique opportunity to interview a cosmologist who is not a christian but he's a very intelligent guy wonderful guy um his name's brian keating he's at the university of california san diego and uh he agreed to come on and have a chat about uh the universe and the cosmos uh, but he said if we can get a hundred reviews on Apple Podcasts. He would be delighted to come on uh, sometime in 2024 and chat with us. Right now, I checked, we have 32 reviews. And all it is, if you have Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is scroll down through our podcast a little bit, and then Apple will give you a ratings box, and you can just click on the stars, and it will register as a review. You don't have to write a review. If you want to write a review, that would be great, but we don't even have to do that. If we can get 100 people to click on the stars, uh, we will have Dr. Keating on uh, Good Heavens sometime in uh, 2024. So that would be a great thing to do. Also, Wayne, and this is a surprise. I, I, I kept this from you because uh, I just finalized it. But at the end of the month, um, as you guys have known, we already talked to Jeff Zwierink of Reasons to Believe about the science behind possible extraterrestrial life. Those two episodes are out right now. Guess who I got for the end of this month? Be out in September, probably. We are going to have Dr. Hugh Ross, also 
of Reasons to Believe. Reasons to Believe was Dr. Ross's ministry he began. He just stepped down as president, um, but he's going to be talking to us about a book he wrote, he co-authored, 20 years ago about aliens and alien abduction. So we're on this alien thing because uh, it's in the news. Uh, the, The unidentified aerial phenomenon, they're called UAPs now, these are making the news, and um, Jeff and I, we talked about the science behind possible alien life out there in the cosmos. Uh, Dr. Ross and I are going to be talking about um, alien abductions, that whole kind of thing, the, 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 the other side of UFO phenomenon, which is more of like an occultic sort of strange, bizarre, what are these abduction stories? Are there anything to them? What, what, do they go with anything that's in the news today? We are going to be talking about that with Dr. Ross. We did an episode with Gary Bates a couple of years ago uh, on a similar topic. And um, be in prayer for this too, Wayne, because uh, next summer I'm going to try to go to the uh, Roswell Festival um, in July. Yeah, it's not that bad of a drive, and I'd like to go and talk to people about the cosmos, maybe hand out some books, maybe set up a table, get a booth or something at at the festival. I don't know what to do, but... Uh, we may, I may be trying to do that. But anyway, Dr. Ross is coming up at the end of the month. Um, be praying for um, uh, Dr. Keating's challenge that we can meet that. If you are on Apple Podcasts, go give us a review right now. Just hit the stars, and uh, every one of those will count as a single one. And if we get to 100 by the end of the year, we'll have Dr. Keating on in uh, January or February sometime. So exciting news for good heavens as we enter into our seventh year Um of podcasting, Wayne. I didn't think it was going. Very good. And uh, hey, say Dan, before we sign off, I'd like to mention one other special thing going on in the sky this month in August. Okay. There's an unusual thing this month. And, you know, we have the expression, we'll say if something very rarely ever happens, we say, well, it happens once in a blue moon. Well, guess what? There's a blue moon this month. Wayne, what does that mean? A blue moon means that there are two full moons in the same month. Wow. So the first first of August, there was a full moon, and there's going to be another one on August 31st. Okay, so folks, if you've been putting stuff off, and if you're one of those people like me that says, well... I'll get around to it every once in a blue moon. Well, here's your blue moon, guys. There's no excuse. Yeah. No excuse. <laughs> get her done. <laughs> it's time. It's time. It's blue moon month. Thanks for mentioning that, Wayne. I didn't know good. that. And I came across that on YouTube. That's great. I'm glad you, you dropped that in there. So uh, <laughs> so look out for the blue moon. So you have a meteor shower and then uh, a blue moon. So, so don't let time and years get away from you. Here we go. Right. Get it done, whatever it is. Get married, <laughs> you know. Get that, take that job, uh, you know. Just, just whatever it is. Just uh, make the proposal. Whatever you got to do. It's the blue moon month. It's the month to get it done. Uh, so that's great. Well, we got this podcast done. I think it went pretty well. And uh, thank you all for listening, uh, especially those of you. We do have some of you have been listening to us since 2017 and we thank you and we wonder why yes but uh, (laughs) i didn't (laughs) it's amazing so thank you to all our faithful listeners who've been around since the very beginning and we talked about uh uh, the lunar eclipse of 2017 and we talked about the planet jupiter were our first two episodes and uh we might uh we, we may just replay those next month if you haven't heard them uh you don't have them up on podbean do you wayne do you have the first very first two um 
They are, but they were not put up in the same order necessarily uh, because we started Podbean later. Uh, yeah. And early on, I put several of them up at different times, and it was kind of in a different order. But All right. Well, we may we may rebroadcast those uh, next month for our anniversary special or something uh, because uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, you know how ridiculous we used to have our introduction, me speaking in a British accent going, Good heavens! <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, so the production wasn't as uh, as uh, as improved as it has been over the years. But uh, they're, it's their classic "Good Heavens" episode. Yeah, and for a while we had an announcer. On a, what was his name? Dan. He was. He, oh yeah, we still have uh, we have uh, we have a couple announcers. I use uh, we have um, Dave Mitchell and Anna, Anna Marie Smuts. Uh, Anna Marie is from South Africa, and she has a wonderful voice. You've probably heard her yeah. voice. On the introductions, she is fantastic. She and is. I told her when, when I heard her singing, and I I heard her on uh, social media a couple of years ago, and I said, "My gosh, uh, do you do voice work?" And she says, "Well, no, but she'd be happy to." And I said, "Well, I'm going to send you some scripts about stars and and read them like you're reading a fairy tale to your children." And she just she did an awesome job, and I think it's it's fantastic. She, a fantastic. She did voice. a great job. Yeah, she really did. Um, so those are the two voices, and occasionally I'll use Dave Mitchell, or occasionally I'll use uh, Annie's script uh, to to do the intros. But uh, yeah, thank you to both of them, friends of the ministry, great people, um, and thank you to our faithful supporters of Good Heavens. We consider you all family. Stay in touch with us. Psalm nineteen sixty eight at gmail dot com. Send us your astronomy stories. Percy and Meteor Showers, and uh, what impossible tasks Jesus enabled you to do for Blue Moon Month. We'd love to hear that, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Wayne. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll see you right here again next time on... Good Heavens. Good Heavens. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org for more information and resources on apologetics, world religions, cults, and other non-Christian ideologies and spiritual practices. For Good Heavens, I'm Anna-Marie Smuts.